On this episode of Times Like Now, I'm speaking with Renee Roman Nose, Native American of the Cheyenne and Arapaho people. Her book of poetry, Sweet Grass Talking, was nominated Book of the Year in Oregon in 2017. She is an activist, an actor, a teacher, a comedian, an anthropologist, and so much more. Hello, Renee Roman Nose. Thank you so much for joining me on the program today. I, I do appreciate your time. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for your kind invitation. So tell me a little bit about your, I guess that there is so much to talk about with you and there are so many uh, elements to your career and to your life. When I find your uh, presence on the internet, you are poet, you are professional speaker, you are anthropologist, sociologist, comedian, actress, uh, mother. Am I missing anything else? What else is in there? Educator. Uh, there's probably more, but tell me a little bit about uh, your writing, about your poetry. I've been writing since I was a young girl, and poetry was my way of dealing with the challenges in my life. And then it was also a way of dealing with issues, social issues, and issues of injustice that I was able to take something that was lying heavy on my heart and put it into poetry and thereby ease my own burden. And so as time has evolved, I have um, turned to other forms. I write songs now, um, and I also write comedic poetry because I decided that a lot of my poetry was really heavy, and some people can take that, some people can't. And, you know, when you're reading poetry, it can take you on an emotional journey. So my goal for the people who are reading my poetry or coming to a performance or coming to one of my poetry workshops is to take them on that emotional journey, but to bring them back to laughter and to happiness. Sure. Your your first book, or maybe not your first book, but the book that I've been looking over, um, Sweet Grass Talking from 2017. This was nominated Book of the Year in Oregon. And some of the notations that I found were, were taken on an emotional journey through the history of the American native. And while it may not be politically correct to tell the truth, it needs to be said, and more importantly, understood. This is something in the, in the notations of the book. What does that mean to you now with um, some of that under the, under the, the history? What does this mean to you now? It means a great deal to me. This book was a work of of several years, and I shopped it from publisher to publisher, and I finally – I was actually disparaged by a former partner. He's like, nobody wants to read about Indians, and I no longer have that person in my life, and I have discovered that a lot of people – want to know about Native people. They want to understand. They want to expand their horizons. They want to build bridges of understanding and friendship. So, and then for Native people, it's, it's a, a, it's shared commonalities. You know, many of us have been through the same situations or our communities have suffered the same or our, we have shared experiences and that's what my poetry addresses. So, this book is my first book, and I really, um, if you get a chance to look at it on the cover of the book, 
is um, beadwork that I did myself. It's two needle beading. And I'd never done that prior to doing this project and this this beading project. And it's actually quite a large piece. It's probably six inches by uh, five inches. So I'll, I'll show you the cover and people can look it up if they wish. But this was my first ever project. And I did this without a pattern. I did it because it was living in my heart and my mind. And I was able to recreate that in beadwork. And and that's what I try to do for, with my poetry. For radio's sake. Yes. For radio's sake, it is a, a white uh, a white stallion or a white horse. It is. Thank you for pointing that out. And the book is called Sweetgrass Talking. Now, we'll maybe have you read some of that a little bit later sure. as, as we move along, because I would I would like to hear some of it in your voice. But in addition to poetry, you're also accredited as a cultural anthropologist. You're an international speaker and president of Fierce Courage. What is that? It's a motivational speaking um, company. Well, basically, I'm the company. And I go to communities and I provide wellness in the workplace training. I provide um, different workshops to address different workplace issues. So basically what has happened is that people have contacted me and said, oh, can you address um, gossip in the workplace? Or can you address um, respect of toward women? Can you talk about... Um, you know, the missing and murdered indigenous women topic. There are any number of topics that I've been invited to, to address and to speak and talk to different groups about. And that's what Fierce Courage was developed for, because it takes, I believe, Fierce Courage to ask for help. And so for the communities and, and individuals that have reached out to me and asked me to come and uh, share my stories and to listen to their stories, I, I applaud them and I appreciate being a part of their healing. Yeah. Speaking to that, do you have a, a piece of poetry nearby that you might share with us now? Um, something that you they feel is a standout along these lines that we're speaking of. Absolutely. So this poem is from my book, Sweetgrass Talking. It's called Wind Song. The wind carries messages for those with ears to hear. The trees carry signs for those with eyes to see. The forests tell stories to those who can read. The eagle beckons to those whose spirits are free. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, important messages, uh, definitely. So you are, as well as a poet and a speaker, you've done some acting. Now you were in a movie that was produced. I'm not sure of the date, but this was, um, let me see. Some days are better than others is the name of this film. And was that produced locally in, in Oregon? Cause I know the director, I worked on a project with Matt McCormick many years ago, and I hadn't heard that name in a long, long time until I read your, your bio. Tell me about that experience working with a, a film set. What did you um, do? So I portrayed Camille and in this movie, and my interpretation of Camille was that uh, she was a boarding school survivor, and I was asked to portray her as someone with a stutter. But if you see the movie, as the movie moves on, uh, she gains 
courage. She gains strength because of the task that's set before her. And she begins to lose her stutter. And it's kind of a subtle thing. Uh, Not many people have commented on it or recognized what it was, but it was an acting choice for me. And Matt McCormick was delightful to work with. And we had an amazing time. My character required a great deal of uh, conveying emotion through through acting because she didn't speak a lot because of her stutter. And so it was really moving for me. In fact, the uh, audition was quite interesting because when I did the audition, Matt was there and so was, so was uh, Simon, uh, the casting director. And at the, after my audition was finished, they asked if I had any questions. I said, yes, I'd like to do the last scene. And they looked at each other as if to say, an actress that wants to do a scene with no talking, that's weird. But then I had read the entire script and that scene so moved me that I wanted to do it for them. And I did. And then afterwards they said, thank you. We'll be in touch, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, well, I'm never going to hear from them again. But they loved my portrayal. And Matt McCormick went back, rewrote the script, and gave Camille a much greater uh, part. Um, initially, Camille only had six scenes. And in in the final script, I uh, had 18 scenes. But, uh, of course, some of that didn't make it into the movie. But it was a terrific experience acting and being a part of a project with Carrie Brownstein and James Mercer and, of course, Matt McCormick, who I just have so much respect for as a filmmaker, as a documentarian. He's just amazing. Yes, he shot uh, camera, did camera um, director photography on a film that I recorded sound for so many years ago. I can't even add it up at the moment. But yeah, a, a consummate professional and award-winning filmmaker as well. Moving on, um, definitely let's look that up. Anybody listening, the name of that film again? Some Days Are Better Than Others. Right. So what have you been doing most recently? Now, again, you have so many things going on. I can't imagine being inside of your head. It must be a whirlwind which direction you're going today. But you're currently in Everett, Washington. Is your home? Yes. Yes, I currently live in Everett. And you're doing a a new poetry book, a new book of poetry, uh, a collaboration. Tell me a little bit about this new book. What's What's the what's the theme here? So Suzanne Harjo, who is a an amazing human being whose life's work has been to support tribal communities across the nation and who was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Obama, we have a shared great-grandfather. Um, well, actually, our great-grandfathers were brothers. So in our family structure, our Cheyenne family structure, that makes us siblings. So she's my sister. And for years, we had tried to do a public presentation of our poetry together. And it it just didn't transpire. And then finally, one day, she called me up and she said, what do you think about doing a book together? And I said, hey, that's a great idea. And, you know, we chatted a little further on. And, and then I hung up and I danced around the house, yelling and screaming, because it's like Beyonce calling up and saying, hey, let's write a song together. I just have that much respect for her and she's just such an amazing person. So I, I'm telling you about this book project 
so that I can light a fire under myself. Because what we're doing is we've come up with a list of titles and we're each writing to the same title. And then in the book, those two poems will be side by side. So you'll be able to see her poetry next to my poetry under the same title. And where did our minds go? Where did our words go? So I think it's going to be a really powerful work and I'm excited about it. Thank you for asking. Oh yeah, absolutely. That would be quite exciting if you found uh, such, let's say, in sync uh, relative uh, to each other, you know, writing on the same, maybe using the same words or, or the same imagery where you're almost sharing the, the, the dream of sorts uh, comes, comes to mind, you know, uh, maybe that will happen, maybe that won't, but, but that kind of thing can and does seem to happen quite often in, in creative endeavors, uh, especially among sisters, maybe. It might be something yeah. very unique there. Looking forward to that. Thank you. Now, something I wanted to ask that I didn't get a chance to, to speak to you before we started recording here. What do you feel and how do you feel that here in 2021, we're finally starting to get rid of the sports team's names? Oh, my long goodness. Overdue, long, long overdue, yes. obviously. And it, it's it's such a it's such a thorn in in my mind, uh, just because it just seems so outdated that, that that this is still taking this long. But it is happening. Where's your stance on that? So my stance is I'm nobody's mascot. Our people are not mascots. We shouldn't be treated as caricatures. We shouldn't be treated as cartoons. We shouldn't be treated with disrespect. We shouldn't be mocked. Um, certainly, only in America do we mock our poor and our indigenous. And it's it's past time for both to end. And in fact, there's with the recent passage of House Bill 2052 uh, from the Oregon Legislative Assembly, Oregon passed uh, this this bill that allows Native students to wear an eagle feather on their graduation cap or to wear their traditional regalia um, for their graduation ceremony. And it's taken legislative action to allow our Indigenous students to celebrate with their families in a, recognizing their spirituality, their culture, at this momentous life event. So why has that taken so long? I've seen large amounts of money in necklaces around people's necks, but somehow some feathers and maybe uh, that's offensive in some way, or that that's a problem. I don't understand that perspective or side of things. Um, I'm glad that's changed. Absolutely. I'm, I'm thrilled it's changed. I think the uh, cultural oppression behind that, behind both of those things, is something that we are now moving away from. We, we um, are on a, the crest of a wave in our country where we're finally treating one, one another the way we should have been treating each other from the very beginning. We're now acknowledging the mistakes of the past and no one alive today is responsible for what's happened in their grandparents' generation or their, their parents' generation, of course. But our responsibility is for the seven generations to come. How do we make the world better for those generations, for, for everyone's children, not just my own, not just, you know, 
yours or or you know your the children in your family, but the children the face is yet to come. How do we make the world a better place for them? That's the way it should be. Looking, you know, always looking seven generations ahead uh, as we move forward to you know to honor those from the past as well as from the future in what we do and how we live today. Important lesson. Absolutely. Your experience with the um, with the Northwest Indian College. What are you doing now in in education in in that position? What are some of the things that you're working on? And I'm curious. You, you just mentioned, you know, the changes that have been happening and the changes that have been happening over time. How do Native American Native uh, children and teenagers? respond or react? How are they different from maybe when you grew up or past generations in your experience with educating younger uh, with, uh, students? What's the change? What's the, is there a cultural shift in their minds, in their actions, in their ways? And how does that play out in what they do and how they respond? Absolutely. So I have just, uh, I was working for Northwest Indian College. Uh, it's a wonderful place. It's a, it's a great campus for um, providing an education. Uh, it's the only regional tribal college in the nation, and they have a satellite sites as far away as Idaho. They have them um, all across throughout Washington, and it's really an amazing institution. I have, however, recently accepted a position with the Oregon Department of Education within the Office of Indian Education. And to answer your uh, other question, you can see simply from the news, you can see the effect of our youth and their activism. If you look at Standing Rock, we just uh, today have been reading about Standing Rock uh, or the uh, Keystone XL pipeline has just been canceled. And it was going to bring tar sands oil from Alberta all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico and being shipped off to China. It was not going to benefit America at all. And the uh, Keystone XL pipeline um, at that time, they were using eminent domain to take farmland. And uh, the people of Bismarck didn't want the pipeline to come by the city. So it got put um, to come by Standing Rock and it would go, it went under a river. And that pipeline, as it's put in already, had already leaked several times. And this company deliberately went in and destroyed graveyards, destroyed land where ancestors were buried. And if that isn't horrific enough to say enough is enough, I don't know what is. But the youth of Standing Rock ran from Standing Rock to Washington, D.C., to highlight the importance of protecting the water because water is life. Um, we, we see that the youth all across the country, the, the youth from Parkland. I took part in the um, March for Our Lives in Washington, D.C. and saw some of those youth stand up with courage and commitment to help keep these school shootings from happening. I saw one young student actually run to the side of the stage. She was so nervous that she lost her lunch, pulled herself back together, came back out and addressed a crowd of hundreds of thousands of people. 
So the courage of our youth and their acceptance of one another is inspirational. It is um, so important to our culture and to the world. And we see youth standing up all around true. the world. It has been inspiring uh, and in a, in a ripples on the pond kind of way, these things grow and, and influence and inspire others. Um, it's it's great to see. I recently did a, a episode podcast episode with uh, Jewel James uh, regarding the the Red Road to DC and awesome. the, the totem that's being moved and traveling across to sacred sites across yes. the United States. That's uh, a great to see, and that also will inspire and uh, move many others. I'm sure. Absolutely, absolutely, it will. What else in your, in your, you, you do international speaking. When was the last time pre COVID that you had done anything outside of the U S uh, speaking to, to what group of people or, or where were you? I was uh, up North of Toronto uh, just prior to the pandemic and speaking to the community, the Rama Indian community. And it was such a pleasure. Everyone there was so welcoming and kind, and I had a wonderful time. I was up there for three days of workshops representing Native Wellness Institute out of Gresham, Oregon. They do some fine work all across the country in meeting the needs of uh, tribal communities to help themselves to heal and to grow and to provide um, amazing workshops. So I've been a facilitator for them for several years. That's but that good. was my last trip. That was my last trip, you know, across the uh, uh, invisible line. Yeah, things have definitely uh, changed greatly since then. Um, what are some of the other, uh, let's say, courses or uh, classes that you do? Do you paint as well as, you know, I know you do some photography and you mentioned beadwork. Are you exploring that as well lately? Yes, I am a painter. I have a exhibit and a uh, I'll be featured poet at Cafe Zippy on Rucker Avenue in Everett, Washington, next uh, on the seventeenth, and that'll be in the evening for Everett Poetry Night. So I'll be um, my po my artwork will be uh, exhibited there, and then I'll do my featured poet, and I'll have books for sale and uh, a new chapbook that I'll be. Um, debuting at Cafe Zippy. So I'm excited about Everett Poetry Night. There's such an amazing group of poets there who are supportive and encouraging, and um, they will call you out if, you are, if you're slacking. They will inspire you when you're lagging, and they will uh, make you laugh and make you cry. So it's a wonderful, wonderful group at Cafe Zippy. That sounds interesting. I I uh, used to go to some poetry readings in the Portland area uh, many years ago, and always found uh, found it a good time, and and always a great crowd of people at that kind of event as well. What? Um, let me see. Comedian, you've done some stand up comedy. I have as well. I have. Uh, what, uh, I have friends that are stand up comics and that's always a good time too. Do you perform around town or have you been performing, um, as part of any, uh, any group or these open mics or tell me a little bit about, about that. How did you get into from poetry to 
jokes. So, <laughs> and what is some of your subject matter when you, you know, when you get up there to crack a yolk? So I began my open mic at Oregon State University when I was getting my master's degree. I was very active with the Native American Longhouse at OSU. And I'm, I tell jokes all the time. And I just never thought about doing stand up. But I was doing a presentation for a philosophy class once. And I was, you know, and I was on a roll talking about, you know, historical generational trauma. And all of a sudden, the professor stopped me right in the middle of what I was saying. And she said, do you do stand up? And I said, no. And she said, well, anybody who can make historical generational trauma funny needs to be doing stand up. And shortly thereafter, I was invited by the Native American Longhouse to do stand-up comedy. And since then, I've performed all across the country at, at different venues, at conferences, at casinos, uh, at family, at a family event, uh, for a family at Tulalip. So it's it's been really fun. And I, I'm relegated now during COVID to doing sit-down. So occasionally in the many, many Zoom meetings that we're all going through, I will um, crack a joke and when it's appropriate to do so. So I like to make people laugh. I like to brighten people's day with a little bit of laughter. And, you know, laughter is medicine. And for our Native communities, our humor is one of our strengths. I truly believe that, that we can laugh in the face of adversity and we can make uh, a joke about anything. So that's one of the things that I inherited from my father. Uh, he used to be a, a powwow clown. I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but way back in the day, um, you would have men dress up in these crazy outfits that were kind of powwow, kind of crazy. And they would walk around and they would tease people until they would get up and, and dance at the powwow. And so they were referred to as powwow clowns. And so I think I, I got my sense of humor from my father. Yeah, I've, I've, comedy is one of those human traits that helps us deal with times of stress and, and uh, you know, difficult times. We always go there. I remember a favorite story is, I think it was Groucho Marx. I hope it was Groucho Marx who said that... Uh, on his deathbed, as he was passing away, uh, somebody asked him, "Is this difficult for you? Is is this a difficult time? And is is dying a hard, difficult thing?" And Groucho Marx said, "Yes, it is. Still not as hard as comedy." <laughs> That's great. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> um, it seems seems rather apropos, and and uh, yeah. Once again. Uh, Renee Roman knows. Thank you so much for your time. And where could people find a website for you? People can go to www.renearomannose.com. Or you can find me on Facebook. I'm Renee L. Roman knows on Facebook. I also have a Facebook page for Fierce Courage. And I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on TikTok. I'm I'm in all the coolest places. But I don't know how to do TikTok yet, so I'm still learning. It's okay. So don't expect anything fantabulous from me at TikTok yet. Well, thank you so much for your time. Very inspiring. And as we said, ripples on the pond. I'm sure you're inspiring others in your adventures and everywhere you go. I really do appreciate your time. And thank you once again. Thank you for your kind invitation. I appreciate it. You can find past episodes of Times Like Now wherever you get your podcasts. 
please do subscribe and share. My name is Trevor Collins. I can be reached Trevor at timeslikenow.com. Thank you to the letter J, Cody Robertson, for original music. And I look forward to speaking with you next time.